this morning at the Foundry Church. We're kicking off a new series of sermons that we are excited about. And before I dig into it, I just again have to say thank you to everybody who came out last week and the weeks before, all the kids team that is downstairs, all of the guys who helped build the sets and all the teachers and group leaders and, and all the people that got slimed by all the weird things and that helped out with the water night and all the fun stuff. We couldn't invest in that next generation, in the generation that we have a future in, right? The, without all of you. And so I just appreciate your hard work and your desire to serve and to love and to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. All right, so with that, with this new series, I'm excited because we get to start uh, talking about the Hall of Fame and what comes to your mind when I say the words or the phrase, uh, the Hall of Fame, All right? Maybe you think of the, the Baseball Hall of Fame. I know some of you people are from Cincinnati and you're still hurting about that Pete Rose thing, right? And that was a long time ago, right? Every one of those children were... Like, they weren't even alive yet, so just let it go. Right now, maybe you think of the Rock and Hall or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in, in Cleveland. They induct great musicians into that every single year. I mean, they, they no longer, like, just have rock and rollers in it. Right This year, they, they inducted Missy Elliott, a great rapper, uh, but not exactly a rock and roller in my book, right? And so maybe you think of the great football Hall of Fame. Because that's what I think of, right? That's what I think of. The, the Canton, Ohio, the NFL, the Hall of Fame, right? Those, those yellow jackets, the, the speeches, and the sometimes really, really, really bad busts of the athletes, right? In college, I got to play a game at the stadium that is connected to the NFL Hall of Fame, and I was so excited because a part of that game, you got to tour the Hall of Fame. So they, they take our, our team into the Hall of Fame, into the building, and every room was just full of great player after great player after great player. Uh, John Madden, right? The, the great coach, uh, Troy Aikman, Marcus Allen. And then like the angels came down from heaven. And it was like they, they just opened up the rays of sunshine, and there it was as I turned the corner, Dick Buckus. Right now, the, the maestro, the enforcer of mayhem, the greatest linebacker to ever play the game. Sports Illustrated said this about Dick Buckus while he was still in college. They said, if every college football team had a linebacker like Dick Buckus of Illinois, they said all fullbacks would soon be three feet tall and sing soprano. Now that's funny. Right? That, that's, that's funny. Right? Come on, who doesn't love a football player like that? Now, when I was growing up, I wanted to be just like Dick Buckus. That's all I wanted to be. And I would have been, except as my college coaches put it, I ran too long in the same spot. All right, so... Their nice way of saying, maybe not so nice of way of saying that I was too slow, right? So even though I wouldn't be him, I still loved him. And so I stood there and, and I read all that I could about Dick Buckus. And even though I had already knew it, it got me pumped up for the game that we were about to play 
at the NFL Hall of Fame. I remember thinking how cool it would be to tell the younger me that, that I would play a college football game at the Pro Football Hall of Fame in the stadium. Now, I, I would leave out in the conversation that we got beat by like 40 points. But still, right? younger me would have been so excited because I would have been like my heroes. Because isn't that really what we think of when we think of the phrase, of the title, the Hall of Fame. We, we think of our heroes. Right, Foundry Church? That's just kind of what we think of. Uh, no matter uh, what Hall of Fame you think of, the people that are inducted into that are seen as heroes of their craft. Uh, heck, even heroes of life. Right, those are inducted and are treated like, like models and role models and influencers that we can be like. And they are seen as people who who work hard, and, and they hustle, and they grind. They are, they are seen, no matter what Hall of Fame we're talking about, as people that we should be like on the field, or on the court, or on the stage, or even in life. But here's the question, Foundry Church. Right? The thing that we want to peel like an onion throughout this series, what do we do when these heroes of ours, when they fail? Look at it like this. What happens when the Hall of Fame becomes the Hall of Law? What happens then? Let me give you an example of this. There's this guy. His name is Sparky Anderson. He was a great manager in baseball. He was the only Hall of Famer, baseball Hall of Famer, who had won a World Series in both the National and American Leagues. He led the Cincinnati Reds to the top in 1975 and 76 and then the Detroit Tigers in 84. He was known the world over as a manager that could do no wrong. He was loved by all. He could do absolutely no wrong until the 1989 season, until that Detroit team did some wrong. Sparky led the Tigers to a miserable 59 and 103 finish. The season and the failure were so hard on on Sparky, that he made some difficult decisions in his life, and then he, he suffered because of that, a mental and physical breakdown of exhaustion, and, and it led him to missing half a month of baseball during the season. And Sparky was no longer a hero amongst all baseball fans. And looking back on it, Sparky wrote this. He says, if you think you're destined never to fail... You better keep one eye open when you fall asleep, he said. For my first 19 years as a manager, I was blessed by so much good fortune, I thought maybe the devil had forgotten where I lived. Then in 1989, I found out that Sparky Anderson had to pay his dues too. Listen, all right, we, we know, Foundry Church, we know that no hero is perfect. Our Dick Buckus wasn't even perfect in my 12-year-old mind. He wasn't. So what do we do when our heroes in the Hall of Fame start to show their flaws? And even more, what do we do when our heroes of the faith show their flaws? What do we do with that? How do we handle that? What do we do? You see, the Bible has its own Hall of Fame. In Hebrews chapter 11, in our New Testament, it is sometimes called the Hall of Faith because there's 
and nothing that Christians are better at than a cheesy pun. So in the Hall of Faith, the author of Hebrews first decides what faith is, and then he lists people throughout the Bible who have shown great faith in God. Right? He starts listing out people who have shown great faith in God and how they forged a lifelong reliance on him. Not just for, for themselves, but for their whole family even. Right? So, so in the Hall of Faith, the author, he digs into these characters, uh, men and women like Enoch, Abel, Moses, Rahab, Sarah, David, and other major and minor figures, some who are even unnamed, who exemplified faith in God, who exemplified what it means to forge a lifelong reliance on God. But it only takes about a two-second look at all of these faith hall of famers to see, well, they're flawed too. Their life has been a roller coaster too, just like, like our lives. Right, well, what are we as people of faith or, or people who are trying to figure out what a faith in God looks like or even who this Jesus is? Or what are we supposed to do with these people, with these characters in a section of Scripture that we've called the Hall of Faith? But when we take a, a double click on their lives, it's like a roller coaster, ups and downs. What are we to do if even the Hall of Fame in the Bible is full of people who've messed up, who have some flaws? Right? So that begs us to ask the question, who are we supposed to look up to? Who are we supposed to follow? When all the, the heroes have some flaws, who's left to actually be a hero? Well, I think we can look at one person in this Hall of Faith to see what we should do. Right? And so that's what we're going to do in this series. We're going to be in, in two places, and that's, that's what we're going to do for each character in this list throughout the next few weeks. We're going to read about the Hall of Famers in Hebrews 11, and then we're going to read a little bit more about their story to get the full picture. So the character today is going to show us what we should do with every character in the Bible. So go ahead and turn uh, to Hebrews chapter 11. That's where we're going to be. Now, Hebrews is a, a letter that is in the New Testament. Right? If you don't have a Bible, please use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you, and you can take those Bibles with you. They are free for you to have, to use, to take. Right? So Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament. Use the table of contents if you need to. That's where we're going to be. And as you're turning there, let me serve you up a little bit of context. The book of Hebrews was written to the Jews who had turned their lives around and were now following Jesus. The only problem was is when they uh, were struggling to turn away fully from their past, all around them were influences from their past life trying to get back in. All right? Who can relate with that? All right? We made some changes in our lives. We're trying to improve. Uh, God is leading us in a new direction, but everywhere around us, it's like we're in the midst of a storm just getting beat by all these other influences, all these bad things that are trying to pull us back and trying to keep the chains on us. And that's what the Jewish people are going through right now. All right, so the writer of Hebrews is reminding these people, these individuals, these churches, this, this group 
of why they have faith and who they have faith in, right? And the foundation of that faith and what he, their God, has done for each and every one of them and how that completely changed their life around, how God has done that for them. So listen, in chapter 10, the writer literally says, remember that the Jewish faith, there's a priest who stands in the synagogue all day, day after day after day, making sacrifices so we can be made right with God. And so this author of Hebrews reminds the people, hey, that's what we've come from. But Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior that we've been waiting for, has come. And we don't have to do that anymore. Right? He died once and for all. The work is done. All that we have to do is have faith. Have faith. Forge our life on God. And so he starts out chapter 11 by defining faith for us. So let's, let's start there. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and go to that, that Hebrews section of Scripture. All right, let me, let me turn there. All right, Hebrews chapter 11, verse, verse 1 simply says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Right? So faith is two things. What is it? Assurance of things hoped for and conviction of things not seen. Now in your Bibles, go ahead and just circle those words, underline those words, make a note of those words. Right? Look, faith is assurance and conviction. Now, I love how the, the King James Version puts it. Right? They, they kick it old school and they say, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So the, the Hebrew writer sets up this whole hall of faith, this, this hall of fame, by saying this is what faith is. It is assurance. It is conviction, it is substance, it is evidence, right? Faith is the deep conviction. It's the, the down into the gut conviction that even though you can't see it, you know it's true. You, you, you know you can hold on to it even though it's not visible. And I love that definition also includes that faith is the evidence that we need. Don't you love it that the God that we forge our life on is asking us not to have a blind faith. He says faith becomes our evidence, but the reasons can't be measured in a laboratory. They have to be understood spiritually. The great Scottish Bible scholar F.F. Bruce, he puts it like this. He says physical eyesight produces a conviction or evidence of visible things. Faith is the organ which enables people to see the invisible order, the spiritual realm, right? The, the kingdom that we're a part of, the kingdom of God that we're in right now. You know, it's, it's sort of like a cycle, like a, a cycle or, or a circle, if we have faith, then we can see things we would see before, and then we would have assurance. And because we have assurance, we can have more faith. We have more of that conviction 
that is down in our guts. Right? Does, that, does that make sense? Are we tracking? Right? There's this great movie from a while back, uh, a long time ago, called Simon Birch, that I think illustrates this point very well. Right? It, it popped up on Netflix, right? one of those old re, new releases on Netflix. Simon Birch. It is of a boy who's, who's uh, he has a stunted growth, and he has a clear sense that God has an important plan for his life. Does anyone remember this movie? Some, no? Am I the only one that has watched it recently? All right. All right, so I'm going to ruin it for you then. All right, so it's this boy. He has this stunted growth. He, he knows, though, that he has a purpose and a plan that is from God, and he has no doubt about it. Right? Even though that he has some, some physical limitations, things that are holding him back, and in it, this boy, he becomes friends with another little boy who's taller and a little bit more physically able. And little Simon is often met with obstacles and opposition, even in his friendship. But he always holds uh, true to the fact that he one day is called by God to be a hero. All right, so Simon and his friend Joe, they, they do everything together, even though they are an odd pair. Right, they just look funny together, but they do everything together, and that's what's so great. The unlikely Simon is always talking about the great plans that God has for his life, but Joe is always just kind of doubtful. He's like, Simon, it just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. Joe has been, been deeply wounded by growing up without a father and simply cannot move from, from cynicism to a, this true faith that Simon holds. So early in the movie, Simon and Joe, they're, they're heading home from a, a swimming spot in the lake. And Simon and Joe, they wander through a field and they start to discuss destiny and the, the role of faith. And the, this amazing conversation happens. Little Simon says, but things will be different once God makes me a hero. And Joe looks at Simon and says, you know, man, you shouldn't talk about this hero stuff, Simon. You just, you shouldn't do it anymore. And Simon goes, why not? <laughs> because it's weird. Right? The, the other kids tease you enough as it is. You need to cut this out. It doesn't make sense. And Simon says, I don't care. It's the truth. I know it. Down here. Right? But you don't have any proof, says Joe. And Simon says, I don't need proof. I have faith. Your problem is that you have no faith, Joe. And Joe says this. He says, I got faith. I just want proof to back it up. Now, how many of us have been Joe in this conversation? We've been been Joe, haven't we? We have faith. We just want proof to back it up. And that's okay because we've all been there. But the definition of faith that we're reading here in the very first verse of Hebrews chapter 11 it says that, that true faith, faith with assurance and conviction, lets us see the unseen things and gives us the evidence we need to have an even deeper faith. The cycle. The circle. You see, if Joe could see the entire life of his friend Simon, he would have no doubt that God would indeed make Simon into a hero. And since none of you have seen it, I'm going to ruin the movie, right? Simon ends the movie a hero, right? If Joe had faith in the plan of God, he would have assurance 
And then because of that, I guess as in Hebrews 11, he would have a little bit more faith. Right? Simon already had the cycle down path. He understood it. He had faith. He, he could uh, see what God had in store for him. And so he had more faith to step into the will of God, into the purpose that God had for him and the strategies that God had for his life. Look, look at it like this, right? Faith lets us see the fingerprints of God all around us. A spiritual vision. Right? Faith lets us see the work of our God, the God that we are forging our life on, Foundry Church, all around us. And it is with this definition in mind that the writer of Hebrews begins a list of amazing people of faith, hero after hero after hero is named in Hebrews 11. And and let's not forget that this letter was written to a group of Jewish individuals. And so this, this entire hall of faith, which is full of people from the Old Testament, is a list of people that the Jews would know. Right? The, these are people that they grew up hearing about. Their bedtime stories were about these people as they were growing up. Their rabbi in the synagogue would have talked about them regularly. So when they get this letter and they are hearing it read out loud to them for the very first time, they would be saying, oh yeah, I remember him. That's my hero. He's my guy. That's my favorite. I got his card, right? It's in the spokes of my bike. Or maybe they say, oh, I have his poster. I love that guy. He's my hero, right? And they would also know that, that yeah, he's my hero, sure, right? But I also know what else he did. I, I know the rest of his story. Right? Does his faith, does it, does it really stand up to the definition that is at the front part of this letter? And it would probably leave the listener feeling like we do. Where are all the true heroes of faith? Because they're reading, hey, here's the hall of fame. Like, here's the hall of faith. Here's the, the heroes that we should be looking to. But then they're like, yeah, he's my hero. I like that story. But that guy, David, we know what he did. All right, let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5. Just Let's, let's dig into this a little bit deeper. All right, chapter 5, or verse 5, I'm sorry, says this. But faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he existed and that he rewards those who seek him. So we're given Enoch. Right? When these questions are roaming in our heads, just like they were probably with the Israelites who first read this letter, right? where are all the heroes? We're given Enoch. And I think that was on purpose. Right? I think God is smarter than we are. Admittedly, Enoch is a lesser known Hall of Famer, but what does it say about Enoch? What does it say? It says that he pleased God, right? And how do we please God? By faith. So there is at least one fellow in here who had it together, maybe, 
And we all know from TikTok, if someone is doing something that is good, we should all copy that and hope that it works for us too, right? And so let's take a look at the story of Enoch here just for a second. Turn to the very front of your Bible. We'll be in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. And don't worry because Enoch's story isn't too long, right? Genesis chapter 5 simply talks just a little bit about Enoch here. Look at this. Turn in your Bibles yourself so you, so you know where it is, and you can take God's word for it and not my word for it. Genesis chapter 5, the very first book of the Bible. And again, if you need a Bible or want a Bible or know of someone who wants or needs a Bible, take the Bibles that are in the seats and give them away. Chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. When Enoch had lived 65 years... He fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God, and he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. That's it, Foundry Church. That's it. That's the whole story of this man Enoch, right? That's the whole story. Here's what we know. Enoch was Adam's great-great-great-great-grandson. He was also Noah's great-grandfather. And we know that Enoch walked with God. That's all we know. And we know that Enoch was one day, was not, it says. Right? Some translations say he disappeared. Some say that God took him. Whatever translation we have, it means one day, while walking with God... Enoch was not, was no longer. So what are we supposed to take from that? This guy in this list of Hebrews 11, this hall of faith. What is the, the big faith takeaway? Well, I could, I could talk about Enoch all day if you wanted me to, which by the look in our eyes, we probably don't want me to. So, uh, so I'm just going to sum it up by saying this. Look at this. Walking in faith with God Saves us from death. It's simple, right? Walking, walking in faith with God, forging our lifelong reliance on God, however we want to put it, walking with God, shoulder to shoulder, saves us from death. This is why Enoch is a hero. It's not because of anything he did. Look, look, he was a hero because of who he was walking with. Founder Church, that's big. Right? That takes the pressure off of us. Right? Enoch is a hero not because of anything he did. It was because who he was walking with. You see, working our fingers to the bone to do the right thing or say the right thing or to be perfect, to achieve, to do, and to be. And I know we live in an area where it's a rat race. Right? That's not what pleases God. What pleases our God is a faith that says, today I will walk with you because being close to you, my God, saves me. Right? That is, that is the lesson that we learned from Enoch. It is not that our faith, uh, faith saves us, but it's the God who walks beside us in that faith. Right? And we know that Enoch wasn't perfect. No one's perfect. Right? He didn't start walking with God until after the birth of his firstborn son. So even if he never messed up, he was still 65 years old right? with that son. There were screw-ups, I'm sure. 
He was not perfect, but every day Enoch woke up and he said, today I will do my best because God is by my side. Every day he stood up. He forged his life. He said, show me the things that I cannot see so that I can walk closer to you, my God. Every day he woke up and he said, no matter what comes my way, I can handle it because I walk with God. Every day, listen, Founder Church, every day he talked with and he learned from and he listened to and he walked with his creator, with the God that he forced his life on. And then one day, it was as if God told Enoch, you don't need to walk home, just come home with me. I got you. My son, let's just go home. And Enoch was gone. I mean, what a way to go, right? Right, Going for a walk with God, and he says, ah, this is it. I'm saving you from that mess. Right? You got some knuckleheads that live on your street. Come live with me on my street. Right? And, and we're, looking, we're looking at this hero thing, this Hall of Fame thing all wrong. Right? This long list of people with broken faith and screw-ups and and maybe even like Enoch with 65 years of who knows what. Well, they're not who we're supposed to be looking at in the hall of faith at all. <laughs> they're not the ones that we should try to be like. They're not the ones that we should be trying to uh, seek their influence of. We're supposed to be looking at who they put faith in. Who they forged their life on. And use their life, use their story as a catalyst into how we forge a lifelong reliance on God. Right? We need to look at who they walked with, like Enoch. He walked with God. He walked with the Lord of his life. You see, the story of Enoch reminds us that the only thing that can save us is walking in faith with God. If we turn back to, the, uh, to Hebrews and look at chapter 12, the first thing, that is said after that list of heroes, including Enoch, is this. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2, simply says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all these guys, all these women, all these people forging their life on God, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run, what does it say, with? Endurance, the race that is set before us. Let us, right, at the founder church, we would say, let us forge ahead, looking to Jesus, looking to God in the flesh, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God, the throne of God. Foundry church, the, the evidence that secures and deepens our faith and convictions is Jesus. God in the flesh. Right? When we walk with Jesus, when, we, when, when he is by our side, we can easily see the only evidence we need to have faith. When he's with us by our side. We can see the wounds in his hands, the, the scars on his side, and the, the scars are across his brow. And we can see and we can feel the empty tomb that he came out of. So the story of Enoch and the story of the men and women that we're going to look at over the next few weeks reminds us that the only way to go home is if we're walking with Jesus. 
We're forging a lifelong reliance on God. You see, the, the goal of our faith is God. Forging a lifelong reliance on God, it, it's not to reflect these Old Testament characters, uh, these characters that, that we're going to talk about these next few weeks. Right? David, Sarah, Moses, it's not our goal to act like them. It's not even our goal to be the best versions of ourself. <laughs> Look at it like this. The goal of the Christian life is to walk with Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our life. That is what we mean by forging a lifelong reliance on God. It, it, it means that we put in the work of daily saying, I will walk with you, God. It means that we own our personal spiritual growth and we, we, we get up and we walk. Right? We, we put the, the hammer down to the anvil and we do the hard work of forging ahead in our faith, in our relationship, and in this adventure that God has for us. Sometimes walking with God is like running a marathon. Right? Sometimes walking with God is an easy stroll down the beach and sometimes walking with God is going through the valley of the shadow of death. Hard and dark places. Whatever walking with God looks like, it is certainly an adventure. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher and theologian from Victoria, England, he, he said this about Enoch. He said, Enoch's life has no adventures. It is not adventure enough for a man to walk with God. What ambition can crave a nobler existence than abiding in fellowship with the eternal? We could never want anything more than to walk like Jesus and guide others to do the same. That's, that's the greatest adventure of life. The greatest adventure that we could ever hope for. Whatever your life looks like today or whatever uh, you're going through, God wants to walk with you. He wants to save you. He wants to bring you home. And so that's what we're going to do right now. I'm going to invite the band to come up and before we we go on with our week and, and before we get into the busyness of, a, of an afternoon and before the kids come up and we have our ice cream and celebrate them for their hard work at VBS, we just want to take a moment. The band's going to play behind me and right where you are, I want you to pray. You can, you can pray with your family, you can pray with your friends. You can just pray silently right where you are. Just take a moment and thank God, our Father, our Lord, for the fact that he sent his Son into this world not to condemn us, not to beat us down, but to walk with us so that we may have life to the full, abundant life. Now listen, it doesn't mean the easiest of life, but it's a life with our God by our side. He knows the way. So right where you are, you can, you can come up here. I'll be standing over here. You can come pray with me if you want someone to pray with you and for you. Ryan, he's right over here. If you're over here and you want someone to pray with you and for you, just tap him on the shoulder and he'll pray with you. But just take a moment and thank God for the fact that he's walking with us. And then when you're ready, Come out to the sides, and on each side of the stage, there's communion. 
we read in the in the, the letter to the Corinthians and in other places in the New Testament that, that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Take it, eat, do this in remembrance of me. And so take a piece of the bread and you can dip it into the juice. And we know from that, that section of scripture where Jesus was with his disciples in that upper room and after he broke the bread, he said, this is my blood, a new covenant which I give to you. Like we said, right, the Israelites, they had to make sacrifices daily, every day, all day. But Jesus said, I got this. I'll be the perfect sacrifice. I'll come alongside you and walk with you, and I'll go to the cross, and I will shed my blood for you. Take a piece of the bread, dip it into the juice, and you take communion. If he's your Lord, if he's your Heavenly Father, I invite you to do that today. Take a moment and pray. Then when you're ready, let's take communion. We'll go back to our seats and we'll continue to worship and sing to our King this morning.
riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou my inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only be first in my heart. High King of Heaven, my treasure Thou art. Victory one. May I reach heaven's joy, oh bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befalls, still be my vision, oh. God that we forge our life on. It's how we walk with him that leads others who are far from him, ourselves included, because if we're honest, we've all forged our life on something other than God this week, right? Just be honest. I don't think any of our names are going to be in a hall of fame for following God. It's going to be in there just like those guys and these men and women walking with God. Loving like God. Helping our kids love and walk with God. Helping our neighbors love and walk with God. Helping our our families love and walk with God. So that's our prayer. We dig through these series, as we dig through these characters, to do what you not did. Just to walk with to live 
our best life, a life that is forged on God, not the easiest life, not a perfect life, not a life of full of, of roses and sunshine, but a real life, a real relationship, creator of all.